on the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry. I'm delighted to be joined by international best-selling author Heman Sunim, telling us what to do when things don't go your way. When we are, you know, very young and have a first love and the first love did not work out, we feel as though this is the end of the world. However, we learn that is not the case. We move on. We find some other people. We begin to see that uh, when things don't go your way, uh, maybe it's not the end. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Irokti, a yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, on Kestian Echo. Vientolum againom Griv, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Well, what an opening weekend it was of the Champions Cup. An Irish clean sweep. Great starts for Leinster, Munster, Connacht and Ulster as they all got very impressive wins. Luke, the Champions Cup is back. Great weekend for the Irish teams. Nice to start off on a positive note. Yeah, really positive. Um, And uh, delighted for all the teams. I think probably... Uh, special uh, shout out to, I think, Munster and Ulster. They were brilliant performances under very challenging circumstances, particularly for Munster, obviously. But that's a very difficult place for Ulster to go as well. And um, we've given them a little bit of stick after that Ospreys loss, and probably deservedly so after they beat Leinster so well in the RDS. Um, but what a comeback. Just need to make sure it's consistent now. But yeah, all around, lots of positives. Loads of young Irish talent playing well in the Europe's elite competition. So I think... Uh, a very, very good first weekend. Yeah, no, it's always great to have European rugby back. And we actually have so much to get through today. And we're delighted to have Keen Tracy here to go through it all with us. Keen, how are you? Hey, lads. Good to be back. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks. Good to have you back on. And I know I say this a lot of weeks that there's a lot to talk about, but I really do mean it this time. Uh, there's been so much happening today alone, let alone uh, all the stuff that happened over the weekend. We have had COVID cases today, more injury news to Joey Carey. But Keen, we will, I think, start with... In my opinion, the biggest news of the day, Johan McGrand, it's now confirmed. We talked a bit about it last week that he might be on his way out, but now it's confirmed that he is leaving at the end of the season. You know, I don't think I'm putting words in your mouth. When we talked about it last week, you did seem to be of the opinion, I think, that it wouldn't be the end of the world if he left at the end of the year. It's now coming to pass. What what do Munster do now? Where do they go from here? There's a couple of obvious options that we'll probably touch on, but in your opinion, what what should they be doing now? Yeah, there's a there's a lot to, for them to get their head around. Will um, I think the writing has been on the wall, and I think in fairness to to Rod, he's been out in front with this story for the last couple of weeks. Um, I heard a lot of other people kind of you know shooting it down, but it's it's come to pass. And my understanding is all is not as it might have seemed in the in the press release today. In fact, I know I know it wasn't. Um, so as it turns out, um, Johan van Graan had agreed a new two-year contract with Munster back in March and actually signed it in August. So van Graan had signed that two-year deal in August, but he's actually invoked the same release clause that Pat Lamb left Connacht with in 2017 and is similar to one to what Rassi Erasmus left Munster uh, with as well. So... It's, it's come as a, a major surprise, I think, behind the scenes because he had actually signed the contract. Um, now so, Keen, what's, what's this clause? There's a clause basically in IRFU, and I'm not HR, so I'm like reluctant to go down the route of... Oh, sorry, yeah, but like, uh, general, sorry, even if it's just... There's a, there's a, there seems to be a clause built into IRFU. I don't know if it's... It, I presume it's just coaching contracts that allows basically them to get out of them if I don't know, like if certain things pop up, I guess, or if certain people aren't happy. Um, so I don't know if you remember back in 2017, Pat Lamb left Connacht in similar circumstances. 
Razzy Rasmus did the same in 2017 for Munster as well. So it, this has been a bit of an issue for, for the IRFU because I presume there's a reason why they have to have this clause in the contracts because I don't understand why they wouldn't otherwise. So it sounds like it's basically like an option. Like it gives basically someone basically only upside. Oh, I, there must be another side to it where the, the union can obviously terminate a contract uh, even if it's been signed. There must be two sides. Otherwise, it would just be like, well... There's your contract. Go away and negotiate for a higher one because you can get out of it. I think no. there's a there's a huge, probably a huge element of that, but obviously trying to get someone to to say that on the record. But um, I think by the time people will have heard the podcast, hopefully they'll have seen we have a story up um about this. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been tricky. So while like the writing has been on the wall over the last couple of weeks, I would say um, Van Grand signed that contract in August. So. That's a long time to have kind of, you know, putting your plans in place for, for next season. Um, I think, you know, you can or, see... Or to not have any plans, Keen. Well, well, that's it. They're, once they're on the back foot now um, in terms of trying to scramble around for a replacement. And just to go back to your initial question, Will, they're not just looking for a, head, a new head coach now. They're looking for a new attack coach because Stephen Larkin is going back to the Brumbies. Um, my impression would be that JP Ferreira, the defence coach will probably go to Bath along with uh, Johan van Grand purely because he's his right-hand man. So in much the same way that uh, Jacques Nienar were left Munster with Razzy Erasmus, the two of them kind of come as a duo. So my understanding is that Johan van Grand has had talks with Bath and they're pretty far along the way. Hence why he's basically had his head turned and changed his mind about signing the two-year contract for Munster. So effectively it leaves Munster looking for a head coach an attack coach and a defence coach and we'll wait and see what happens with Graham Roundtree I believe he's settled well in Limerick and I don't think Munster would want to lose him so there's a huge amount of upheaval coming down the line for Munster and for I think we spoke about this last week like for a province who they really wanted like coaching stability but you know what in my mind this this could be a blessing in disguise Um, I think I think Van Gran has done a good job. I think when he came in in 2017, his remit was to steady the ship. And I think he has certainly done that. But in my honest opinion, I think he's probably taken them as far as he can go. Um, so, look, it's a clean slate. But I think further down the line, it could be a blessing in disguise, depending, of course, on who they, who they end up getting in. Because, like I said, they had planned for him to be there for the next two years. Yeah, like what kind of coach do you think Munster should go after? Obviously, people will want Ron O'Gara. That will probably be the majority of Munster people's first choice, I would imagine, given that at this stage of his coaching career, I think he did, what, seven, eight years as an assistant. He's had two years or three years now as a head coach, slash now the DOR as well as a head coach. He's certainly put in the time and he has success in his CV with top four teams and Super Rugby titles. Is he the obvious person to, to chase? He mightn't, he mightn't say yes, but surely you have to, load up and go after this guy he's a monster legend he's paid his his coaching dues and he seems the most qualified candidate um yeah like i saw a lot of stuff about i think people are real apprehensive that it won't go well for him and that it's too early in his career but um i don't think so i think he's uh, well positioned to do that i think he's got the respect of uh, the the people uh, or the players, sorry, in, in there who would have looked at his CV and I'm sure who will listen to him speaking about rugby on television or wherever it is. And I, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like I'm a rugby person. And every time I listen to him, I really enjoy it. I feel like he speaks a lot of sense. He looks like a fairly calm guy. He doesn't get too, like I know him anyway, personally, but obviously just as a coach, he looks like kind of a calm person, doesn't get too probably up and down about things seems to have a very cold and calculating eye um, and obviously a great understanding of the game goes without saying. So um, he has the pedigree. He's won in New Zealand with the, with the Crusaders. He's obviously done a good job at Racing and done a good job, I think with La Rochelle. Um, I think now's the time you can't like the, the, the next coach, if I was in Nogara's shoes and they approached me and, and it's a job that I do, that I do want at some point, I just can't see, I I think it's too big a risk to let it go now. I think he's got the experience. I think if he wants to do it, he should do it. I think he's done the travel. I'm sure the family might want to come back home. A lot of his kids are probably at that age where they might be heading into secondary school, I think, Um, certainly his eldest. So I think it might be a perfect time for for, for everyone to to get him back in there because the next person you get in could stay there for 10 years. You might never get another opportunity because your coaching career goes goes down the tube somewhere else. And 
I just feel like the stars have kind of aligned on this one. Um, I think he also has an opportunity to uh, to bring in a few interesting guys like from the province. Um, you know, O'Connell might not want to do that job yet, but I think he'd be perfect for, for it. And I think they're both in a great, great place in their careers where if they came together, they could be a brilliant ticket. So um, I saw some talk about that. I saw some apprehension. I don't think, I think they just have to get stuck in at this stage. Like look at Leo Cullen and the job he's done there. I know people talk about Lancaster having a massive influence, but Cullen was there before Lancaster was. And he's the guy who introduced the massive men to Leinster's young players. Look at the game the weekend. I think if if Paul O'Connell and Ron O'Gara can't do anything with that squad, I mean, no one can. I think there's plenty of really good local quality there. um, And they could reinvigorate the whole place. I think it's the perfect time for a person who will. Yeah, Keen, it's a funny one. Like Luke obviously makes some good points there about, you know, the potential for the job not becoming available again. But everyone I've talked to, you know, just, you know, friends talking about the whole situation, there seems to be like an acceptance that he will say no if he is asked. That like the narrative out there is that, oh, his eye is on Ireland in 2023. But again, like there's no guarantees that that'll be available either or that he'll be in a position to take that job. Like, do you agree with Luke's contention that like, like why would he say no? I suppose, obviously, La Rochelle, very well-resourced French side, but... Is it easier to win with La Rochelle than it would be with Munster? I'm not sure it would be. I think the two finals they reached last year, it'd be tough for them to, to, to match that again, given Toulouse's strength, given Rassing's strength. Like, for you, like, why do you think he might say now if you do think that? I suppose the first thing is he's always been his own man. And, like, he, he has only signed a new contract up until 2024. You know, he's in his first... I know he was head coach last year, but he was under John O'Gibbs, so his first time being the main man you know would he want to stay on I don't know but I agree with what both of you you guys are saying um there has been a bit of talk that you know O'Gara could skip Munster bypass Munster and go straight into the Ireland setup whenever Andy Farrell kind of steps down but I wouldn't see that as a foregone conclusion either I mean you have guys like you know Leo Cullen who knows what his future aspirations are in the job he's doing at Leinster so I don't think you can take anything for granted I think I'd be shocked if Munster haven't already picked up the phone to, to run Nogara. I think whether it happens or not, I think there's there's a lot of obstacles that would be in the way in terms of like trying to force his hand to come back. But I think they have to, like you said, we'll make a power play here to try and get them back. We've seen, I know I mentioned he's under contract, but we've seen how easily coaches can get out of them. So if he wants it, I think the job would be there. But whether he feels now is the right time. And you know what? I think now would be a great time, as in at the end of the season. I mean, from a Munster point of view, I know we'll probably get into the game last week, but the, the Wasp game really showed that the, the academy seems like it's back on track. You look at the spread of kind of where the, the young players are coming from now. There's a lot of good um, players that are good age in that Munster squad. So I think there's huge potential for them to, to do a good job. I think Luke is right. Like Paul O'Connell has spoken as well about how he almost prefers that that he's not in the daily grind of, you know, a club and every day he has more time with his young family at home. And I think that's important too. But I think someone like Mike Prendergast will surely come into the equation as well. Um, He's done an amazing job at wrestling. Now I know like you look at the resources they have, but geez, some of the rugby they played last week against Northampton was sensational. So I think he's another guy that will have to come in. Like, There's a lot of good um, Munster coaches out there at the moment. You look at someone like James Collin is, is doing a good job in France. Flannery. Flannery, there's Felix Jones, there's Noel McNamara. Yeah, King, King, it's a good point you made there, King, because I've seen a few people say, you know, oh, when Munster last put together an entirely homegrown ticket, it didn't go very well. But with all due respect to the guys who were there, that was their first professional gig. You could do a homegrown ticket this time, but the difference is O'Gara, almost 10 years experience in professional rugby coaching. Now, Mike Prendergast, a number of years, James Collin, a number of years. Flannery, who went to Munster, left Munster, went to Queens and seems to have really built on his coaching experience. You could actually do it kind of in a different way this time, whereby it would be a homegrown ticket with lots of experience. And in some cases, bad experiences that they've actually rebounded from. And in some cases, some really successful experiences. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Will. And I think the key is that they've gotten out of the Munster bubble um, because that like that can be so, you know, suffocating as well, like whether it's in Leinster or where it's in Munster. But all these coaches that we've mentioned have been... I guess, brave enough to go and spread their wings. And like, you know, you think back to Ron O'Gara going to the Crusaders, like the Crusaders wanted to keep him on again. That's how highly, like, arguably the best team in the world. And 
we all know how like the key the Kiwis at the forefront of rugby. So I think Munster have to make a play to to go to go and try and get these guys back. I like it's still obviously early days because like I mentioned, I think they've been caught on the back foot um by Johan Van Grand's announcement. Um so I did, like we'll have to wait and see. I think there's a lot of road left to be run, but I just think I would agree with what Luke said. The stars feel like they're aligning, but I mean, it would be great, wouldn't it? I mean, I agree with Luke. Like every time you listen to O'Gara, you come away feeling like you've kind of learned something new about the game. So um, even from a media point of view, it'd be great to have him back for to be chatting yeah. to more really. Do you know what I would say? The, the, the one thing I could, I could see about it, so everyone's obviously talking about, like, I'm, I'm sorry, I just had myself, but it just dawned on me there about, like, O'Gara and, and, and O'Connell and Flannery and all that. And you're kind of saying, well, kind of what's the hierarchy there? Do you know that kind of way? That, that would be my one thing with that. Now, I know, like, say, Paul O'Connell seems to have said about, you know, and, and so I know they've kind of narrowed their focus a little bit. And you could say, well, off the back of that, look, you can see Flannery's kind of working on a specific set. You can see Paul O'Connell still working on a fairly specific set, a set of kind of skills, uh, albeit expanded in this Ireland team now. Um, but I suppose what's the hierarchy there? Is it difficult for someone to come in and say, right, we're doing this, this and this, particularly when they're all so close? Like, is that an issue or could that be an issue? I could see that being something, you know, something like that kind of, being a challenge of putting together a coaching ticket, maybe of all homegrown, but certainly, you know, I think um, there's there's certainly merit for O'Gara in that top row, in that top role. Who he gets beneath him is like, you know, who can he sell it to? Who can he see himself working with day to day, and who can he see himself having a good working relationship? And at the same time, who can he see himself being able to make be comfortable making the final call with, and will they be comfortable with that? Given if they have a close relationship, just some of those names that you mentioned, but they're all things to consider in this. Um, and I would say as well, it will be important for Munster to cast the net far. Like, yes, they are a little bit short on time. You'd rather have heard this back in August when he signed the contract, but um, it's still a great proposition. I still think there's lots of young talent there. I still think there's lots of, I still think they can sell the project there to big players. I mean, you look at, I mean, they've been so unlucky with Steinman, but Deolanda and these guys, like they're top class internationals, World Cup winners. Um, I still think it's a very attractive proposition and they're very close to getting it right. Um, so, you know, I, yes, there's a few homegrown guys that are top of the ticket, but Munster should be casting the, 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 the net far and wide, I think. And I still think there's, there's big potential there. The, that, that point you mentioned about the sort of the player recruitment and things like that is very interesting. I've, I've written a piece um, and kind of touched on that point, you know, um, as well as all the coaches being out of contract at the end of the season, so is Orgy Snyman and Damien Dialende. Um, now, a big part of them signing for Munster was, to be fair, Van Graan got them there and he's uh, like such a popular figure amongst the players because he's a real people person. You can see that in his media dealings as well. But like, their future is up in the air now as well in terms of Snyman and Dialende. And then I think if Munster were looking for new signings, I totally agree with Luke. As a club, the allure will always be there, but it's just, it's trickier, isn't it? Because like, if you were a player like looking to sign, you want to know what the project is, like who's in charge, like where are we go and what style of play are we playing? So that makes it very tricky for Munster as well, which is why I think they'll, they'll be keen to move as quickly as they can on this. But it's very important that they get the right person in. I just don't think the style of play that they've been playing over the last four years um, has been very suited to the squad that they had, if I'm being honest. I think it was good enough to get them to a certain point, but how many times have we discussed in the podcast that when it comes to the crunch, the business end of the season, Munster have reverted to type and just haven't, haven't fired a shot really. So I, I look at the way, you know, Ireland are moving under Andy Farrell over the last year. You look at the way even like Connacht are playing and I just feel like rugby has moved on a little bit. And I think Munster need to maybe push on from that South African style that they've been trying to play. I think the game, the game has moved on. You see that like in terms of the, the attacking and looking for space more often. And um, so that's why I feel like this is going to be a key appointment um, for Munster. So there's a lot of pressure on them to, to get it right. And, like I said, they're they're on the back foot already because of the timing of it. 
Yeah, it's going to be a fascinating, you know, couple of weeks, couple of months, especially, you know, as we obviously mentioned, O'Gara quite a lot. He's so prominent in the media that, like, if he doesn't take it, we will find out why. Like, he will be asked, he will tell us, and we will know pretty bluntly, you know, the reasons why if he doesn't end up going back. Because ultimately, they have to make him say no. Like, you want him to be the one who says no rather than Munster maybe not pushing for him or, or going a different direction. But then moving to the on-pitch, Luke, the win against Wasps at the weekend, like I know Wasps in the end had a load of COVID cases themselves, so it was a bit up in the air for both teams. But as you touched on earlier, some of the young guys like Patrick Campbell, Daniel Okeke, Scott Buckley and Hooker were magnificent. And then obviously the veteran players, O'Mahony and Ty Byrne as well, had unbelievable games too. It really was a complete performance. Yeah, and I throw Kilcoyne in there as well. I thought he was excellent um, for uh, for periods of the game as well. He's such an explosive carrier. But yeah, I mean, the two guys, we, we talked about them dragging a performance out of kind of some of the younger cohort. And and I think we all backed them to do that. Now, whether we, they got the win or not, I don't think it was, we, took, we saw it being as comprehensive and still a little bit of doubt about that, that headshot and that red card. But um they were well in the game anyway. I think it was going to be a very close encounter, even if it was 15 on 15 for the game. But to, to win so comprehensively, I think it'll be very positive for lots of those guys. It's great for them to get a good experience in the red jersey for the first time. Um, and we did see those green shoots that you always want to see from, from some of the academy guys. And there's certainly quality there. So hopefully now there'll be pressure on the coaching staff to, you know, kind of keep them in the squad and play them again. Because, like, I don't know about you guys, but I certainly want to see more of Okeke. Like, I think... If you looked at how powerful he was, like it was just like someone like him could have a massive impact for Munster, um, particularly if they were trying to play that little bit more expansive, as Keane maybe alluded to, I think, you know, in terms of where the game has moved on to. And I think Munster probably tried that a little bit as well, just a little bit more ball playing amongst the forwards. Someone like him, you can see like the power, the footwork, the pace. And the only thing you'd say is he looks like inexperienced. He saw how loose he was with his carry and how many times he got stripped close to you know, after making a big run, things like that. There are things you just learn when you play against better players. You'll, you'll realize that they can actually target the ball because their technique is really good. They'll target the ball in the tackle. Whereas if you're playing AIL, that probably won't happen. But little things like that, you pick them up as you go along. Um, you look at, say, I think Ryan Baird's a really good example of that. He's getting loads of rugby in Leinster. You saw how loose he was the last couple of years, but how obviously how much potential he had. But now you see him, and he, you know, he's, he's cut out all those little things that you get from experience. And he's looking like a really polished player now, top class professional. Okeke is a guy who looks like that to me. Um, so, yeah, look, loads of positives with it. Uh, I thought the defensive effort was excellent as well. That was good to see. They were, you know, they fairly squeezed Wasps out in a very loose game. I thought Poit was absolutely, I just, he's so still a 50 50, isn't he? Like, you just don't know what kind of game you're going to get. He was just, it felt like a bit of a crazy game for a bit. Um, but I thought Munster dealt with that very well and closed the game out um, in what was a very challenging couple of weeks for them. So they can be really pleased about that, even if there is a bit of turmoil afterwards with, with Van Grand leaving. Yeah, can you just on, on the young players, and you, know, you had a good piece on, on Saturday's Zindo, kind of looking at that bath game, and we alluded to it last week as well about you know when Leo Cullen blooded those young guys and how significant that was for that team. Like So you're looking ahead to cast next Saturday night at Town Park. Obviously, Munster have a lot of guys available now who were quarantining or coming out of isolation. Do you expect them to keep faith with any of these young guys? Or are they just going to say, oh, well, the lads are back now. See you guys. Go back to the AIL. We're going back to our usual squad. What, like, what's your sense of what they might do? Uh, I would hope that there'd be a balance, to be honest. Um, I wouldn't see the the point in like someone like Scott Buckley, like, you know, a man the match performance and just like dropping him from the 23 altogether. I think a lot of the younger guys in the bench may not feature, even because uh, as far as I'm aware, there was um, an Irish under 20s camp is, uh, I think it was on today, actually. So a lot of them weren't, wouldn't have been at training for Munster in the early part of the week. So um, I think there's definitely going to be a balance, but You'd love to see like Okeke still involved, um, Patrick Campbell, Scott Buckley, like I mentioned, but it's maybe more the, the lads on the bench. Like, you know, you got to remember, like, as well, like, I felt like it kind of got brushed over a little bit. Like, some of those lads that were on the bench are only a year out of school, like, two of them from N- and they looked it, they really did look it. Um, <laughs> I, I had to love, um, I really liked the, the clip of um, when Scott Buckley got his man of the match and you had Patrick Campbell on his uh, right and you had Owen O'Connor on his left. And they just looked like three, you know, young pups, like just like, it was just brilliant. Like, but um, yeah, like I would hope. Can I say something on that, Keanu? That, that Ireland under 20s thing, like some of those lads should be, they're, not, they're better than that now. 
Like I remember Cheka saying to me, do you want to play Ireland 20s or do you want to stay here and play for Leinster, the senior team? With a couple of F-words in there as well. They may have, he may have said, well, we can say you're, you know, you, you might be available for this one. <laughs> Slash, do you have an injury? <laughs> Would you like to stay with Leinster? Like, that's what happened with me. And I was like, 100%, I'd rather stay here. Like, what are you going to, like, you, like those guys, some of them have to stay up now. They, like, they should keep them with the senior guys. Like, it's, I think it's a regression going back to the 20s. It is, like. But the one time for that now, they've 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 tasted a senior match now. Don't put them down there. That drives me mad. Like the, the guys I'm talking about though aren't the likes of Okeke. And oh, all sorry. Those. Okay, okay, sorry. They're, they're a little bit older. I'm talking about the guys who were 19. And to be honest, like like I would bow to your experience having gone through it, but I still think that pathway is still pretty important um, in terms of developing players. Like it, it's still a massive step up. Like if Munster had got a couple of injuries early in that game last week, there's one or two of those lads, like I said, who were. Like they were playing under 18s rugby last year, like you know, so um mm. it's it's still a massive step up, but um like of course Munster are gonna want to use their their squad who were who were back in, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see a bit of a balance, like I said, with them because like it's just like there's just never a dull moment in Munster, isn't there? You think back to the couple of weeks that they've put down in South Africa, you know, they get back, they have like at, like that result. I know like there was mitigating circumstance in terms of red card, but like like, it was just such a special occasion. Like, like everyone will remember that for so many years. And then, you know, you kind of ride the high of that. And now, then they come in and then they realise that their head coach is leaving at the end of the season. So it's such a sort of topsy-turvy, um, it, it constantly is in Munster. But um, look, I think they'll probably be a bit fortunate. Cast lost at home uh, to Harlequins last weekend. Can't see them having much interest in coming to Tolman Park a week before Christmas, a Saturday night. Uh, ticket sales are going well by all accounts, so I think it'll be a pretty, pretty special occasion. I'd say at Tongue Park because people are, you know, that win last week, and you mentioned the piece I did for Leinster, and I chatted to Luke about it. Like, it has it, that has the impact I think to bring to bring everyone a little bit closer again. And um, it really does. Like when you see the amount of homegrown talent, and you know, there's been lots of, I guess, some people like, you know, lots of talk about, you know, bringing in, you know, people from outside of Ireland and stuff. And you think back to, you know, bringing in two young South Africans, but you look at the quality that Munster have coming through and it's just so refreshing and so pleasing to see it. So that's why I think to bring it back to our original point about the new head coach, I think there's really solid platforms on which to build. And I think it's worth mentioning as well, Ian Costello, I know I touched on him last week, like what a job he did over the last two weeks. Um, I mentioned the fact that, you know, his knowledge of Munster rugby, his knowledge having worked with Wasps and then his knowledge of the All-Ireland League since he's, particularly since he's come back from Munster, he's played a really key part in, I think, the clubs in Munster and the Munster themselves sort of reconnecting a little bit. And um, so I think that was a massive um, factor in the win because when it came to trying to pick a squad for last week, it wasn't like Ian Costello and the academy coaches were scratching around in the dark wondering what these lads were like. They've actually been actively going out to all our league matches um, and keeping track of these young lads. So that didn't happen by accident either. I think Munster are really starting to put uh, you know structures in place and probably harken back to what made them so strong when they were so, so successful. Yeah, to give your one of your other pieces a plug from a while ago, I, I know you did a kind of a piece about that disconnect and, and some of the coaches you talked to were really blunt about how they felt they've kind of been left behind by the province and there's no pathway. So it's, as you said, great that Ian Costello really fostered those links the last couple of weeks and fingers crossed, you know, Buckley, Campbell and Okeke do get to play against Cast at the weekend. One negative, Luke, is another injury to Joey Carberry announced today that he a fractured elbow. So... You know, you're you're thinking he probably is will will miss the Six Nations or certainly a portion of it. Recovering from that, just the guy has had no luck, you know. And it's different injuries as well; they're popping up all over the place. It's not as if it's the one thing again and again. But God, like what? What? I don't know. There's not much to say about it other than just how terrible. Yeah, it is. God, it's so. I feel really bad for him. Yeah, I mean, he just can't catch a break. Just when he goes on a bit of a run, it looks like he's playing well and settling into that position. Because it is a real position, like, unless you've had years and years, like someone like Johnny Sexton, you kind of want to be in there, like, regularly to get used to the pace of things, to get the feel of the team, you know, to really understand the strategy and what's working for the group. So, like, it's a real bummer for him to be out again. Um, So we wish him a speedy recovery. Hopefully it's just a bone and there's nothing kind of complex about it being, 
kind of stiff or sore or kind of ligaments or whatever it is afterwards that can kind of complicate an injury like that. And maybe it's just eight weeks, kind of, you know, it could be six weeks, six to eight weeks, depending on, on the fracture. So um, wait and see on, on, on how quickly he gets back. But uh, I think he's under pressure um, for that Ireland slot. I think um, Jack Hardy, like we, we're probably, I'm probably pushing on a bit too soon, but I mean, Jack Hardy's on fire at the moment. Um, and I, I, I'm not sure I like him as an Ireland player so far, but I think given his form, I think if, if Joey Carby's missing kind of eight to 10 weeks at this point, I mean, that doesn't, that's not going to be helpful because Jack Hardy, I don't know if you guys caught the, like he was on fire again. Like he just can't, he, like he's just playing so well at the moment, really putting that hand up into Andy Farrell's face and saying, look at me, you have to start picking me. And by the way, Ross Byrne, the kind of forgotten man in all this was excellent for Leinster. So it's really bad time to come back to your original uh, point on, on Joey to be given up a bit of game time and a bit of camera time to guys who are all looking like they're playing pretty good, um, particularly when most of the Irish teams look like they're playing well on the big stage. So, um, yeah, a bit good for him, to be honest, Will. Yeah, Keen, like, I might as well touch on Connacht and Carty now. Like, it was a fantastic win for them. I know Stad didn't travel maybe with their strongest team, but Connacht were missing a lot of their key guys as well and then really put them to the sword and have put themselves in a really strong position now to get into the knockout stages. And Carty was the guy driving that. And as Luke said, like whether Andy Fryer likes him or not, Carty is the second best out half playing at the moment on form in Ireland. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, and you know what? Like, I think I mentioned this earlier with regards to Munster and sort of their style of play. But I, I feel like Connacht and Ireland are pretty aligned in in lots of things in how they want to play. Um, I'm not saying it's their identical game plans at all. So I just wonder, will the way Andy Farrell and Mike Hatter are looking to attack um, at the moment, will that suit Jack Carty more than maybe it did in the previous era? Like, because it seemed to me that when he was coming into Ireland camp, he was being asked to do things that he just wasn't used to doing in Connacht. And now obviously that's the reality of making the step up to international rugby, but I feel like more, it's more kind of aligned now. So I would hope that he gets a chance. I mean, just on Carberry, it's, it's absolutely gutting for him, man. Like, even from a mental point of view, like, I mean, what he must be going through is really, really difficult, but fingers crossed he can bounce back. But yeah, I think there is definitely competition there. I mean, we haven't seen Johnny Sexton back um, since his recent injury either. Um, Ross Byrne, yeah, has been going well, but I mean, there's speculation about where he'll be playing his rugby next season as well. So I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of balls in the air here, but if, I mean, if Ireland were playing a six nations game tomorrow and, and Johnny Sexton still wasn't fit, you'd have to say Jack Harkey would be starting. Yeah. And Luke, on a, just a kind of perspective generally, you know, how impressed were you with, with, with their victory over the weekend? Like, it's funny, they, they go to Welford Road next weekend who got Leicester a good winning away to Bordeaux, yeah. but I'd actually give, I'd give Connor the chance to, to make some noise over there. I, I really would. They're in good form. Bundyaki looks like he could be coming back. I, I could see them get a losing bonus point. And Keane will know how good my European predictions have been after I was big enough, you know, Ulster against Claremont last week. I'm, I'm in the zone at the moment. <laughs> uh, yeah, don't pump yourself up too much, Will, uh, if you can if you can help it at all. Um, yeah, I'll be my bank balance after the weekend. Oh, the, way, God. <laughs> the way you described the um, the performance, I think, was was right on the money. They put them to the sword. We all thought that it would be a difficult place for a Stade Francais team to go. And it proved to be the case. And Connacht looked very, very like they, they were they were well worth the win, weren't they? I mean, I just thought they looked way better than them. And Keane kind of mentioned like the, it's the brand of rugby I think that's kind of impressing everyone so much. Um, so it's great to see. I think the you know the the the, the sports grounds is becoming a really difficult. But sorry, it's always been a difficult place to go. But even like regardless of weather conditions, whether it's like <laughs> good or not, um, I think the brand that they're playing makes them a really formidable outfit there. And um, I was really pleased to see it. I think they're in really good form. I think they, yes, they could, uh, they could get a win over in Welford Road. I think it's probably unlikely given how well Leicester are playing. Um, I think they'd be very tough to, to, to I, I think they might beat them at home, but uh, whether or not they, they, I think they might, a bonus point is probably more realistic for them over there. Like, like Leicester are playing well. Um, they're riding high top of the Prem. And um, confidence is back there. You can even see, like, getting Pollard in now. I know Ford is leaving, and I'm not sure that's, you know, I'm not sure that's a vote of confidence or what. Or I don't, I don't only really get that move at this point going to sale, but whatever, you know, it speaks volumes that they they're getting Pollard now. That for years and years, Leicester have looked like they're they're a club on the way down, haven't been able to attract quality um, or spend the money or haven't been spent the money. 
that looks to have changed in the last year or two. And, uh, they, you know, they've done a super job there. So that'll be a tough ask for them to get a win. A bonus point is probably more realistic, Will. Yeah, I don't, I don't fancy them to win, but I, I think they can go and get a losing bonus point. And given the structure of this tournament and some of the, the weaker teams who've already had big defeats, a losing bonus point or two, another win, I think they're guaranteed pretty much a knockout get, a knockout place. But even And then you have a home game at the sports grounds to a chance to get an upset in the last 16 and put a lot of pressure on a team uh, in an away leg. Like, you know, you never you never know what could happen. But uh, You sound like you, you dislike going into the sports ground as much as I do. <laughs> well, have you seen where it is? It's, the it's a tough place. I, I will say it's a tough yeah. place for the outside back. I mean, the one thing I would say that was really uh, pleasing, Will, uh, just to just to tie off on the Connacht piece, uh, I'm not sure you're going to ask Keane us, but if you weren't, you were moving on. The defensive part was way better, like way better. I mean, like that to ship 47 against Leinster was very disappointing, considering they were in that game up to 30 minutes. Um, that that was very disappointing. So to see them kind of tighten that up, like they'll need to be able to defend for long periods against uh, against Leicester. So that was that was probably nearly the most pleasing aspect uh, to uh, to not concede any tries, you know. Mm. Well, moving on to, to Leinster now, Keen, I know you were at the Aviva Stadium at, at the weekend. You know, Leinster got their bonus point win, 25-point margin in the end. But, you know, reading your your kind of sum, summation of it, I think probably same as myself, like still still not the perfect performance. Like Leo Cullen said afterwards, like they, I don't think they scored for the last 20 minutes um, when they should have been probably racking up a, a few more tries to get that points difference nice and healthy given some of the competition for those top slots. In terms of seeding, like, what's your overall take on where they are at the moment? Yeah, um, it's like I mean, it, it was a walk in the park as we expected, but I mean, they just left so many scores behind them. Um, it was a weird kind of game. Like Leinster were clearly far, far better, but they got dragged dragged down to bats level. I feel at times, and I think that would be a frustration. Um, some of their attacking rugby was was brilliant. I mean, some of the tries they scored like really good, but yeah, just they took their eye off the ball, and I think. I think one of the, I guess, concerns I think Leinster and Leo Cullen will have had this season is that I think the gap between the, the first choice players and the second choice players is getting bigger. And I think like so much of Leinster's success is based on the fact that they can interchange guys in and out. So if you think back to like the Dragons' performance, um, the defeat to Ulster, and I just thought, I didn't think Ulster, or, sorry, Leinster got much out of their bench um, at the weekend. And I think... For a squad as competitive, you just can't let chances like that pass them by. And I, like I asked Leo Cullen about it afterwards, and he kind of he did. Yeah, he admitted that they didn't get what they wanted from the bench. And you're right. He pointed out. I mean, they had just put like however many points on Bath, and like he was kind of at pains to point out, well, we lost the last 22 minutes seven nil. Um, so I guess that gives you an idea of the standards that they have. But there's no doubt that they're not where they want to be. Like it's been such a weird season for everyone. You think like. We're in mid-December and teams are still trying to basically find their feet. But I don't think there's, there's obviously no lasting damage done to, to Leinster and it's a good place to be. But I think Leo Cullen will want to see more from the fringe guys, um, particularly like if you think about this weekend. I mean, we just came off a, a press conference with, there with Leo Cullen, who, by the way, never does press early in the week. Uh, so, you know, it's sort of, you know, stuff is going wrong when Leo Cullen is, is, is talking to us at the start of the week. So, it's been a very strange week for Leinster because, like you said, Will, at the start of the show, they have COVID cases within the squad. Um, they cancelled training yesterday, which was Monday. They returned to training on Tuesday. Um, but then they also confirmed that there was more COVID cases, but they haven't actually specified um, how many. So it's kind of unclear what kind of squad Leinster have to, to pick from. I know they were doing a scrum session today and the pack were all wearing masks and stuff. So they're really trying to take uh, like extra precautions. So Montpellier have um, cases within their squad as well. And they also had to postpone training on Monday. I believe they're awaiting their latest round of test results. So by the time people listen to this, it might already be out. But at the moment, the game seems like it's still in a bit of doubt. Leinster are due to fight France on, on Thursday. So we'd be expecting some sort of clarity on Wednesday, I guess, around that. Yeah, and the interesting thing is obviously with the protocols of the tournament, like you could be facing the 28-0 defeat. Like if that was to happen, say to Leinster, hopefully it doesn't and the game goes ahead. In terms of seeding, like that could make mean they go away and play Toulouse in the last 16, potentially, depending on how things work out. So it's, it's an interesting subplot, but you know, given Leinster's strength and depth, you would think that they should be able to field a team unless there's a complete, you know, a, a massive outbreak, which you know, hopefully there that there isn't. 
Absolutely. Just one, one quick point on that. I think a lot of this week is almost like to be seen, to be preparing for the match because like Leinster don't want to be the ones to be seen forfeiting the game here. So I would say there's little doubt that Leinster are going to put a 23 together. I don't think it's going to be on the scale of uh, Munster, but they don't want to be the ones seen to forfeit the game. So they'll be doing everything they can to, to get it played. And from an on-field perspective, Luke, what, what do you make of Keane's point there about the, the first string and the second string and whether or not there is maybe a little bit of a widening of the gap? Because it was a key point Keane made that the interchangeability of, of these players was probably Lencher's biggest strength, that they could rotate or they could withstand a couple of absentees. But do, do you agree with that, that maybe there is a slight widening? Uh, maybe. Like, I think what they probably have, there's been a, the, the big difference in the last couple of years, I think, has probably been... You know, the likes of Easton Asir retiring, Scott Fardy, obviously, like those guys were a real nice guiding hand, I think, during the weeks and on the pitch in those kind of games when the internationals were away or maybe when your front liners were there. So maybe they're missing something, a little, like a little bit of that, um, that always helps you out in those kind of tricky periods where, you know, there's people maybe not available, there's an injury crisis or there's a COVID crisis, probably what we have to consider now. Um, so maybe there's a bit of that going on. I think there's a few, maybe a little bit of complacency. I think the new season probably doesn't help in that in the league, there's just not as many opportunities to play. That makes it really difficult to put out a big performance because you got to prepare brilliantly, but also you might have, you know, in those ones where the internationals aren't available or those games, sorry, um, you're kind of could be cobbling together kind of 15 or, you know, 23 or whatever, who are just not that, haven't played that much together. Whereas I think previously they might've been able to, you know, have an internet, you know, maybe a couple more internationals, uh, in the team, knowing that they have other opportunities to play the younger guys and see them. So there's probably a few things that are going on uh, there at the moment. Plus, I think their mentality, like, you know, if you're looking at the, the, the if you're looking at that Ulster game, particularly, like they, they just didn't look like they, they took it seriously enough. Like whether they're believing their own hype or whatever it is, or some of the young guys think that because they've got a Leinster jersey on, that they're destined to win without putting in the effort and being technically brilliant at everything, which is what Leinster based their, their, consistency and performances over the last couple of years on those things that like there'll be a big wake up call for them. Now, one thing I would say is we're probably are getting a little bit ahead of ourselves in that they did make a lot of changes in fairly key positions, which would have destabilized things against Bath. And I think it was a good opportunity to do that. You probably sacrifice maybe putting the, you know, really putting them to the sword to, to coin your expression again, or to Robert. Um, and that's probably what we saw, I think, to a certain extent, plus a little bit of pride from Bath at that point. Like the game was well and truly over. Um, so there's probably a combination of a lot of different factors. But I'd say let's get through this 10-game block and, and see where Leinster sit. I still think they're very strong. I still think they've got great strength and depth in lots of positions. Um, and I think that um, they're still a force to be reckoned with because I think the coaching ticket is very, very settled and very good still. Sorry, Will, to interrupt you. We have to get Luke's um, opinion on finally getting to see Kieran Frawley. Oh, for Twenty minutes. <laughs> I saw your. I liked your little CC. Yeah. Yeah. I was um, thinking of you, but the second I saw them making the change, I was like, oh. So. <laughs> I had it recorded, so I literally, yeah, I, I went straight to the last twenty minutes, Kieran. <laughs> uh, no, I uh, look. I was delighted to see him get a run in there. I mean, I, I don't know what you guys think. I think he looks very polished for every plays, but I think he looked excellent at ten. And mm. uh, I think if you look at his size. Um, I think I saw someone else saying that it might have been, was it O'Driscoll maybe? I'm not sure who it was. Maybe someone else talking about him. Same concerns I have about him at, at centre, that he's just probably, to be an international centre, you've got to be an absolute beast. Like People might look at the likes of Gordon Darcy and say, look, he's, fair, he's not a big guy. But let me tell you, if you got hit by him, he punched so far above his weight and size, it was ridiculous. He was a freaky athlete. I wouldn't... And even Driscoll was very similar. Not a big guy, but wow, could he pack a punch? And just for all, he's just not of that ilk. He's just a bit more of a ball player, a bit more polished. And I think he, I do think he is a 10. I'd be, I just don't think his career can progress as far as it can uh, at, at 10. Um, but whether he gets the opportunities, like I thought he looked really, really good, but hard to gauge at that point in the game, Keen. I don't know what, I don't know what you thought watching it, Will. Any, any thoughts on, on Frawley at, tw at 10? I thought, I thought he looked very good. I think generally speaking, I would love to to see him there going forward. And I'd be reluctant to maybe judge him on that. I mean, the weather was also crap. Like they Leinster kind of lost their way. They'd lost the rhythm. But I, I thought he took the ball to the line. Like a lot of times, like he was really trying to make things happen. And yeah, like, I mean, it, 
like I asked Felipe Contepomi about this a few weeks ago, and they Leinster definitely see him as a twelve and it's someone who can cover ten. But I would agree as well. I think I think it's a mistake not to look at him more at ten. Um, and I'd be surprised. I mean, like I mentioned, it'd, it'd be interesting to see what happens Ross Byrne next season. Uh, so maybe Frawley will come into the the equation more if he was to leave. So um, it's definitely a good option to have. But I would agree, and I have always agreed with Luke's point about this from the outset that. I think the last thing you'd want to see happen a guy like that is falling between two stools, that he's a bit of a jack of all trades because I think he has the potential to be a really, really good 10. Yeah, but are you using him to the best of his ability if you just say I'm seeing him just as a 10, given that you know you have Johnny Sexton there who's going to play pretty much every big game. Then you have Ross Byrne, a guy who's really established himself well as a guy who can step in and play a lot of club matches and win a lot of club matches. Then you have Harry Byrne, who people are talking about and Andy Farrell is including in, in his squads. Like but everyone said, think, what we've been saying is that he needs to leave. Oh, that's what I've been sorry. That's what I've been okay, saying. Fair. No, you have said to be fair, you have said that. Like, no, I, mean, yeah, sorry, I, I think he has to leave for his career. I think he, he puts a he puts a Leinster ceiling on his career, not an Irish not an Irish jersey. Uh, if he stays at twelve, I don't There's know. No Irish ceiling for him. He he's he's done it. I I just feel like he'll get into squads, but that's as far as he can go at twelve. I don't know. Like, I mean, when, when you look at it, I mean, Johnny Sexton misses a lot of big games, Will. Um, it's just the reality of it. Like, he is coming towards the end. Like I mentioned, Ross Byrne is out of contract at the end of the season. Harry Byrne still has to prove himself almost as much as Kieran Frawley. Like, I mean, I'm a big fan of Harry Byrne as well. I've seen him, like I've covered him in school when he's at under 20s, but he still has to prove it at, at the top level. So, I don't know. I think there could be a gap there for him. If Leinster were to go down the route, I wouldn't necessarily think he'd have to leave, depending on what happens with the out-half situation. But I think he's worth a look. Yeah, no. Sorry, Ross Byrne as well, by the way. I thought he was really, really good uh, when he was on the pitch. Like, I I can't see how Leinster can let him go. I I feel like Harry Byrne is completely untested um, at this point. You know, sorry, not completely, but very much untested at the top level. Ross Byrne is has got a good head when, when the pressure's on. He's been very reliable for Leinster. Um, he certainly he probably doesn't have the same game-breaking ability or certainly that break that you ha- that's always nice for a 10 to have. Um, but I don't know. He's such a settled presence for them, and they, they know what they can get from him. Um, I don't know. I feel, I feel like they can't let him go. But for, from his perspective, like, you know, I think he really has them over a bit of a barrel in that. Like, they're kind of stuck. I think they're stuck with like they're in a real they're like Harry isn't there yet. Ross is there. They know what they get from him. I think they feel like they can get more out of Harry. But like to my mind, Frawley then, unless Ross Byrne goes, I think he has to go. So it's a it's a very unusual situation. That uh, but if you're one in. of these guys, do you also take into account that okay, Johnny Sexton will almost certainly retire after the World Cup? You you presume. Like so, right, you know. I know, yeah, we don't want to write him off, but like realistically, like he goes to the World Cup, but then if he goes, that that's a huge void then for someone to be a starting out half for one of the biggest teams in Europe. Like, does Ross Byrne want to say now, oh, I'd like a bit more game time, but then in another year, be like, oh, if I'd stayed another year, mm. I I'd be, could be the main man. It's it's another interesting kind of wrinkle to it. Like, I think there's a few, I think there's a few aspects to it. I certainly don't think it would be a case of Leinster letting him go. My understanding of the situation is without a shadow of a doubt, Leinster want to keep Ross Byrne at the club. But I guess if you were to look at it from his point of view, he's fallen out, he's fallen way down the pecking order in Ireland. Um, in some ways, he reminds me a bit of Luke McGrath that, you know, he's, he's valued much higher in Leinster than he is within the Irish setup. So it could be down to a personal thing. I'm not just talking about Ross Byrne here, but I believe, you know, apart from, you know, your Tyg Furlongs, your Gary Ringroses, who've, you know, signed lucrative contracts recently, um, talks are ongoing with many players behind the scenes at the moment. And my understanding of the situation is that the many of those talks haven't been going too well because, you know, players feel like, you know, the, the gates are back open in terms of punters in the door that perhaps they should be getting better deals. So, I think the RFU have done good business uh, to tie down some key guys and there's some more still to come, but there's a lot of guys out of contract at the end of the season that are very important to, to the provinces and Irish rugby in general. Like, I, I, Ross Byrne certainly fits into that bracket. Yeah, well, you're right. Like It would be astounding if after like a global pandemic and all these contracts are up and they're able to keep all the kind of the middle tier guys who you know wouldn't be on, as you say, those really lucrative contracts. That would seem like a surprise from the outside, obviously. It's hard to know exactly when it's its figures being used with various players, but yeah, it will be a very interesting thing to look to to the end of the season. 
finishing up then uh, on the weekend with Ulster, Luke, you know, big win away to Claremont. It's it's funny they're going that win loss win loss pattern um, that you know Dan McFarlane must be very happy with the win but also very kind of infuriated that they can't seem to back it up. So it will be interesting to see when they play Northampton, who for Ulster's sake are probably a good thing they got so badly hosed by Racing because again they're un- maybe un- maybe unlikely to, to throw away or to put it out a really strong team. But what what was your kind of take on how they went about their business against Claremont? Um. Oh, geez, I thought they were great, weren't they? It was like John Cooney, very like he's a, he's a good head on the shoulders and he likes the big moments. I thought that was great. Like it's that, but Marcel Missilan is still a very difficult place to go, regardless of, of, of where Claremont are as a team. They're, they're certainly not Claremont of all, but I thought it was an unbelievable performance by them. Uh, lots of really positive stuff. I mean, Hume was, I mean, some of the clips were like, you know, you, there's been loads of highlight reels going around, like they really were highlight reels. He is. Um, I was talking to Tommy Bow about him and I was asking a little because I, I, I suppose trying to find a little bit more out about him versus just what I watch, you know, whenever I watch Ulster. Um, and Tommy was saying he thinks he's the real deal. I was like, what's the ball playing like? Um, I was on a Monday morning, I was talking to him and he was saying, yeah, no, he's got it all. He's really quality. And it certainly looks that way to me. I haven't seen much of his ball playing ability yet, but certainly his offloading and his footwork and his pace. And he's a big guy. Like he was an absolute nightmare for them to contain. And himself and uh, McCluskey in the centre, um, you know, I thought they, they were really they were a real handful, you know, and they, they could they should be the cornerstone of what's and kind of what the team is built on now, uh, and should be able to give them that kind of consistency, provided the pack um and 10. I think 10 is a real issue for them still. Provided those things are in place, I think about uh, you know, Vermeulen and when they get the full the full complement in the in the forwards, they actually could do that. But um frustrating for Dan McFarland in terms of the performance, outstanding. Great to see. We want to see a strong Ulster. Um, they just need to back it up now. They cannot be a week-to-week team. Like, it's just not. They're better than that now. They really are. I know they're missing a few guys still, but there's enough quality there for them to be a really consistent force and be better than they are. Yeah, like Jonathan Bradley is reading his kind of uh, report. I think his, his last line was, you know, a good team wins a big game, a great team wins a big game and backs it up the following week and wins another one in this Northampton game. If they can win this one, they've won foot already into the knockout stages. Like, you know, Keane, you obviously didn't fancy them much going over. Like, what what, what did you see that kind of maybe surprised her or that you thought really contributed to that big win? I was delighted to be wrong, first of all. Um, I think they'll hammer Northampton this weekend because I've never raided Northampton either. <laughs> <laughs> I've been on the yeah, end. I texted King like the second or lead. I was like just rubbing it in already. Like uh, I've been on the end of tonking them away from home. And then I was I played those matches where we lost them that feckin' intercept uh close to their line. Remember he slipped through it. So heartbreaker. Um so beware, be wary uh of of a of a hurt uh a hurt Northampton. I, I'm I'm being facetious because uh, Will, like you said, couldn't wait to text me and tell me how bad my predictions were. That's why I thought he got me back on the pod this week to try and make amends. Um, but yeah, like I, I was actually reading Jonathan Bradley's piece as well. I thought he kind of summed up Ulster well, uh, like uh, by calling him a Jekyll and Hyde kind of team, and and that's what they are. And like Luke said, I mean, they just need the consistency now. I mean, you can't go away to a place like Claremont and then not back it up at home to a Northampton team who were beaten out the gate, uh, like we mentioned at the start of the show by, by Rassing. But what impressed me most was, I mean, my concerns would have been around kind of the front five, but like they really stood up. And I know it's not the Claremont team of old and all that, but they really, really stood up and, you know, were able to handle everything they threw at them. And like a guy like Hume, I'm a massive fan of him. Um, He's got this, I don't want to say arrogant, but he's got a confident streak about him. We saw it in his celebration at the RDS as well. And I know that will rub people up, some people up the wrong way, but I don't know, I like it. I think he's got a a bit of something about him. And you know what? It doesn't hurt at all to have another realistic um, contender for Ireland playing 13. After that Ulster game, or the Leinster game, he spoke about how disappointed he was, you know, not getting a single minute in November. And you know what? Maybe his form for Ulster merited even a run out in the in the last game against Argentina. So he's clearly gone away and used that disappointment to to fuel him. So and that's exactly what Andy Farrell and his coaches are going to want because they've made it clear to guys the Interpros and the Champions Cup are what they're being judged on. And I, I'm liking that more people are kind of admitting that now, you know, the, the other URC games, not that they don't count so much, but if you want to get into the Six Nations squad and, and into the into the actual match day squad, they're the games you've got to perform in. So 
I'm looking forward to seeing them back it up. I think someone like Dwayne Vermeulen coming in has obviously just lifted that pack in general. And he had a couple of big carries and, you know, Claremont kind of went after him. I saw Damian Penno hit him with a big shot. But like get, when you get it, Luke would be a way better place than me to comment on that. But when you get a world-class operator uh, like that into your squad, like Luke mentioned, Easton Asewa and Scott Fardy, they were unbelievable for Leinster, particularly in those windows, like in the Six Nations windows when the guys are away. So, He's going to be massive for them. And you can just see the likes of, like Nick Timoney has gone to another level as well, I feel like, over the last few months. So, uh, yeah, Ulster are building nicely. I just hope they can back it up now this weekend. It's funny, you know, the, the Six Nations windows, because that does get mentioned a lot with these overseas signings. But at the same time, like, you also buy them for the big European games, like, you know, Rocky Elson delivering in those Munster games, the Leicester fine. Like, it's it's great to have those guys in those periods. But also, you know, a guy like Vermeulen, you will be looking to him say, this Friday night in Raven Hill to be producing a really big performance. Oh, 100%. Like, and I think they'll, um, they probably need a bit of a lift. Like, the key thing from, from my mind with these, you know, kind of foreign imports as well, like, just key that he stays injury-free. I feel like he's a guy who will deliver. Like, there's nothing, there's nothing overly complex about what he does, but it's bloody effective when it works and when you when utilised correctly. And I think Ulster can really build on what their main weakness has been is that kind of carrying ability on the on his back like he has been wherever he goes he's been a nightmare to contain on the pitch so um he's very exciting for them uh can be a focal point i think henderson will be you know it kind of frees him up a little bit as well there's not as much pressure on his shoulders to be doing any kind of carrying particularly you know when he's back um and i think as well that the likes of kind of jordy murphy timothy is as kian said playing very well they have a few guys going back who are you know should be potent ball carriers and should give the likes of you know hugh mccluskey's uh obviously balakoon's out but you know a few of those guys opportunities to run on you know uh, with a bit of go forward a bit of momentum put the defenses on the back foot because if they do that i think they'll have big opportunities to chop up teams um and really be a real force to be reckoned with. So I think there's lots of good positives for them to take out of it. And Vermeulen could be a guy whose shoulders that, you know, they can, they can put a good bit of pressure on top of him. I mean, he's a world cup winner. He's played in all the big teams. He, he's a winner wherever he's gone really. Um, so he's a great addition. Just hopefully he stays injury free versus their previous signings. Yeah. The only disappointment about their game this Friday is that it clashes with the Leinster match. They both kick off at the same time, annoyingly enough. So people will have to make a, a choice about which one they want to watch. Keen, just to finish off the uh, Will, you know, that there's a record on. You well, I actually have a dodgy box where you don't have the facility to record on, unfortunately. <laughs> so uh, I Can't have to make a, a healthy choice on Friday about which game I, I'll watch. Um, just to, just a fit. Uh, it's actually a bargain as well. 50 quid for six months. I'd highly encourage anyone to get it if you can't get BT, as I can't in my house. Uh, but Keen, uh, next just... podcast has been shut down from next week now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been jailed, I've been jailed for piracy, you know, online piracy. Or something. Uh, so, uh, the women's rugby uh situation, Keen, just to, just to wrap up on, you know, it, you think it's kind of gone away for a while and then it comes back with, with a vengeance. The, the letter that was signed by 56 current and former players outlining their loss of confidence in the RFU leadership regarding the direction of the women's game. Like, and then the RFU's response where they kind of, you know, really came back kind of in a combative way. You know, what, what did you make of it? Yeah, an absolute mess. Um, but probably something that, that needs to happen. Um, you know, you read through the list of the, the list of players, you know, current players and former players. And it, like, it really is like the who's who of women's rugby and, like these women have to be respected um, like their, their opinion should carry serious weight. And I'm sure that they didn't, they didn't go uh, take this option lightly. They obviously felt backed into a corner. Um, I was surprised by the IRFU's response about how aggressive it came across um, by reading it. Um, they certainly weren't reading the room, but um, and now you see that the ministers are getting involved as well in sport Ireland. So look, I, myself and Rod spoke about this the last time we were on together. There's so much wrong. Like, there's plenty of good things in women's rugby with the volunteers and, you know, the RFU will point to playing numbers and stuff. But the structures in the bigger picture stuff is is a shambles at the moment. And, you know, I spoke to Claire Malloy for a piece last week. She got inducted into the Rugby Riders um, Hall of Fame. And, like, she was another player who came out. And, th- like, the players have no problem taking the blame because there seems to be a perception in some quarters that like the players have just like, you know, are blaming the IRFU for not qualifying for the World Cup, whereas that's not the case at all. They just want to see like, 
they want to see changes on the back of of not qualifying because in 2017 they had a really tough home world cup as well and from what we could see the changes haven't been implemented at all so you know the IRFU made the point that they're gonna they thought it was you know poor form that um that they basically came out and sent a letter while two reviews are ongoing but like I was on the call with Anthony Eddy, the director of women's rugby, when he spoke about the issues on the record while the review was going on. So you can't have your cake and eat it, really. So I don't know. It's it, it's it's a mess. Like it, it, you, you wonder where it's going to stop. Like or is mediation going to be needed? Because, yeah, it's just it's very, very difficult. But I think like if something doesn't change in Irish women's rugby now, I, I just don't see when, when it will be. And I like I don't think like these these women who have you know put forward their names like they're just looking for their voices to be heard um, and I think that's the key thing they feel like they've been ignored for for far too long and like like I said that they, they want what's best for for women's rugby and if you look through like the IRFU's own stated targets um even like in terms of the sevens like they've missed all their targets over the last few years so this feels like like the point of you know no return for want of a better term um for women's rugby in this country and i just hope that we see changes from it that it's not sort of you know it, it doesn't disappear again but i i struggle to see how it could to be honest um having gone to this nuclear option yeah look i'll give you the last word and like it's funny like i think the first show of the year was just after they had failed to qualify and that was obviously there was a big reaction to that but like that's been so long now it's funny that it's still playing out so publicly that like you'd like to in an ideal world that it would have been kind of started to be resolved then and we would be moving on but it's clearly there's still a loggerheads both sides like it's it's really not in a nice place well i i think the nuclear option had you know i think they feel like they haven't been listened to for quite some time now um and there's been a lot of inaction um is probably their viewpoint i think that's probably fair to say and i think they're a bit tired now i think they're tired of kind of maybe looking at things and saying like well what we've what's happened here like what's changed we've had all these disappointments and yes of course the players are to blame for for not performing in those games but really are the conditions there um are we providing the conditions for them to go ahead and you know flourish and play their best rugby and really achieve what they think they're capable of achieving and they probably don't feel that way and what is interesting i think is that like i think there's no they need a, a woman in charge of of the game um I, I think like you've got Anthony Eddie and Nusifora there. I mean, are they really going to be like, is that really what they're judged on? I think in their mind, uh, I think they, they'll, they'll feel like they're judged on provincial performances probably. And overall the Irish men's team, because that's what really funds all of the rugby across the country. If they, if the Irish team does well, there's more funds for everything for grassroots, probably for the women's game for the men. So that's probably what they feel like they're judged on. Um, but is that right? Like, should should there should like, of course, lots of the expertise will probably lie with men because men have been professional. You know, the men's game has been professional, and you do want to tap into that. So you're getting the best information as you know as a women's team or as the game is growing. So you do need to have that, right? But do I see? I, I'd much rather see a, a, a you know a, a woman answering on behalf of the women's team and saying, "Look, I'm doing this review on behalf of the the women's team." Yes, of course, we're going to be relying on the men's structure, the, the RFU structure that's in place uh, because of obviously all the historical um, kind of weight that has in terms of the expertise and all that. But I just feel like it's, do you, I don't know, do you guys feel it all that way? I, I feel like it's a bit weird that, you know, Anthony Eddy is, is answering on behalf of the women's game or, or performing this yeah, kind of review. Well, I, and I, I just feel Rod like, mentioned, do you think there's sorry, a role? Did you, I feel like there's a role there for, for, for a, a woman at the top of the w- woman's game. I just feel like it's not right that there, there's men doing that role. The road mentioned Lynn Cantwell as a, a, you know, an obvious person to maybe take up a role like that. She's doing it in South Africa. And it's again, yeah, but that was weird that they let her go. Like, yeah, it, it's like we we're talking about Rog earlier being away and Munster needing a coach. It's like Ireland women are crying out for someone like that. And she's doing a role like that in another big powerhouse. It's absolutely it's absolutely crazy that she is doing that job for, for South Africa. Like when Luke is right, Ireland are crying out for something, for something similar. And like the crux of this issue, in my opinion, and I know a lot of people would share this issue, would share this opinion is that Anthony Eddie's remit is, is too wide. Like he's across sevens rugby in the men's and women's and he's across women's rugby in general. Like that is, that's an awful lot to, to take on. So I couldn't agree more. I think, 
the structure structurally Irish women's rugby is all over the place from the AIL up but it's also from crucially from the top down um, so they need to look at you know I, I couldn't agree more with Luke in terms of it and it, it would be great to see a female brought in to do it but it doesn't even necessarily have to be in my mind it just there has to be a clearer defined structure uh, than there is right now um, because you look at the caliber of some of the younger players that are breaking through at the moment, and there's there's definitely quality there. And you've, you've got Greg McWilliams coming in now, who is a really, really well-regarded coach and will no doubt do a good job. But it feels like he's already, you know, fighting fires before he's even got his feet under the table yet. So there's potential there, but there's a lot of work needed to, to get Irish women's rugby back on track to the, to the days when Link Cantwell and Neve Briggs were winning Grand Slams and that. So... Fingers crossed that this letter and whatever government meetings come actually bring some some justifiable change, I think. Yeah, and again, like many of the other topics we touched on tonight, it'd be very interesting to see how it plays out over the next couple of weeks, next couple of months. But for now, Keith and Luke, thanks so much for joining me. Cheers, lads. Cheers. Cheers, guys. That's all we have time for this week on The Left Wing. We will be back next week with another podcast. And in the meantime, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or listen on independent.ie. Until next time, thanks for listening. And goodbye.